How is everybody today? It's not Psalm Sunday, it's Palm Sunday, like the palm tree. So anyways, it's good to have you here today, and uh, we will uh, be looking at Palm Sunday. Many years ago, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they laid palms and different things on the road for King Jesus, if you will, to ride over. And so we're going to look at that day in history and what it means to us today. So before we continue too far, let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you so much for you. We thank you so much for your presence this morning, and we thank you so much for your children. I thank you so much for uh, the families that are present here today and their encouragement. And Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged by you and your word. I pray that your spirit would move and that they would feel your love here this morning. Lord, we look to your word and we pray that it will guide us and convict us and reassure us and give us strength for another day. And so, Lord, we thank you for being Father of all mercies, Father of comfort, God of all things. We thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at, as I mentioned, Palm Sunday. And in Luke, it talks about Jesus writing in. It's called the Triumphal Entry. And so as Jesus was riding in, the Pharisees were upset that the people were worshiping Jesus. And so the Pharisees said to Jesus, please tell your followers to remain quiet. And Jesus said, if my followers remain quiet, even the stones will break out into praise and worship. And so Jesus keeps going. And as we see in verse 41... Um, it says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So as we see here, Jesus is very sad. And I think many of us today can relate to Jesus in some way. Um, when we, in our own lives, have been excited for something, and we see the value and the good of something, but those around us don't see that. They don't appreciate it. And maybe it looks like something where you've done a lot of preparation for a big day, maybe a, a fiesta or a party, a celebration of some sort. And maybe a lot of people didn't come or maybe those that did come and they really didn't appreciate all the work that you put into it. All the cleaning and all the cooking and all the things that went on behind it. Um, and the week's worth of preparation leading up to it. And then the day comes, and then it just comes and goes, and people are like, well, that was great, but we're on our way. And they really didn't see all the love that was put into it. Well, similarly, Jesus had come to earth, God in the flesh, to show mankind the love of God. And what we have here is a picture of people not seeing that Jesus, being the Son of God, had come 
And so he wept because they didn't see their time of visitation. They didn't know that God had come to visit them, to restore them, to redeem them, to make them more holy, and to elevate their lives in God rather than in the world. And so people, as they looked at Christ, they saw this beautiful teacher, but they didn't see the full majesty of who the Son of God was. And if we're honest today, we can have that same mindset where we simply overlook the beauty of what God is doing in our lives. And so this morning, I want to um, discuss three things. One, Christ is calling you today. Doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer, God is calling you. Number two, that you would have fear of the known. We know certain things as Christians, and it is up to us to appreciate those things. Number two, that we would have a fear of the unknown, and that we would run to Christ. So as we consider these things, I want us to really to look at the fact that Jesus is calling us. No matter where we are in life, Jesus is always trying to draw us closer to him. He wants us to have a stronger relationship with God so that we would trust in him for all things. And as we trust in him for all things, there's a process that's going on through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. and understanding, and they're showing us the purpose and promise of the scriptures so that we can walk in them and not be defeated by darkness, by the world, by Satan. As we go through the world, it's really easy for a Christian to become depressed, to become discouraged, to become down about the things that are going on around you. We so bad want to see God break out in a Red Sea moment where he just opens up the Red Sea and there's something dramatic that happens in our lives and we know that it's of God. One thing that I realize is that as Christians, we can sit here and we can give biblical advice and encouragement to one another. And oftentimes that advice and that encouragement just doesn't seem adequate enough. We look at the promises of God and God tells us to walk consistently in him day by day. But when we do that, it's really difficult oftentimes when we're in the thick of the moment to see the progress that God is doing in our lives daily. We can see it in other people's lives because we can see the measuring markers from one point to another. Because we don't see them minute by minute. Well, in our own lives, because we're so close to ourselves, oftentimes we don't see what God is doing. And it's easy to get discouraged. It really is. And so as Christians, we have to remember that God is constantly calling us to him because he knows that the world will discourage us. He knows that the world will try and trick us and depress us and discourage us from walking in Christ. As we come to church, we put our hope into Jesus. We put our hope in his promises. We put our hope in 
in the word that's in the Bible. But it's really easy for somebody to come along and say, hey, if you miss the next eight weeks of, of church, I will pay you $2,000 to help me. And people are like, wow, that's a lot of money. I can easily miss church. And we get into this point where Satan tries to entice us with good things, but through a bad method. God wants us to have the blessings, not necessarily of money, but he does want to provide for us. He does want to care for us. And he does want to watch out for our best interests. And it's so easy for Satan to come along and put something alongside of what God is proposing that looks equally enticing, and we go for it. We take the bait. And it, oftentimes, it just doesn't end up panning out. In the long run, it, it falls short because it's, it's not of God. And so we have to be careful when we look at Scripture and we look at how God is operating in the world, we have to be mindful of Christ and his calling. Let's look at John 6, 41 through 51. And here Jesus is talking about the fact that he is the bread of life. And the Jews, once again, were grumbling. And says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is saying that he is going to lay his life down for people, and he's also teaching that, look, if you have any kind of interest in God, no one can come to Jesus, unless the Father draws him. And we see this picture of God constantly pulling us closer and closer to him. No matter where we are in our walk, God wants us closer. We get closer, God wants us even closer. We come that much closer to him, and God says there's more yet. We can never get close enough to God. Once we do get closer and closer, we realize the value of being so close to God. And as he draws us, we too want to be drawn to him. And it's very important to understand that it is God that is doing this work. God is pulling us 
to him. God wants you to himself. He doesn't want you to be focused or enamored with the world. He doesn't want you to seek good things from the world. He wants to provide them for you. If you have something that you need, God wants to be the one to give it to you. Because not only will he give it to you in a God-like way, but he will also teach you how to use it in a way that is appropriate. Because the world has many things that God has given to the world, and they've taken those things, and they've perverted them. They've stretched them, they've contorted them, and they've disturbed, distorted them to the point where they're no longer godly. We think about those things, think about love. We know that love comes from God, but yet the world wants to take love and turn it into something that is superficial, that is artificial, and that no longer looks like God. So we need to be careful about what we're being drawn to. Remember this day that God is calling you to him. He is doing the work of calling you because he wants you to be in his midst, in his teachings, in his word, and praying to him that you would trust in him for all things in life. So as we're mindful of this, we need to be careful because right now is our day of visitation. God is calling us, just as he did the Jews back then in Jerusalem. Only do not let God cry over you. As we look over the city, you can look out the window and you can see a city this morning that is already at work. They're doing a lot of activity. They're out and doing things. And today, for many people, it's no different as if it was Saturday or Friday, Wednesday or Monday. Today simply is another opportunity in which to make money. If we boil down our life to money, we have essentially reduced our life to something that is basic, monetary, that people throw away and use all the time. We have to be careful about money. We know that money provides a lot of things in life. But money can lead us down a bad road. Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Because money drives people to certain actions and activities. It drives people away from God. And it has people compromise and do things that they normally wouldn't do for the sake of the almighty dollar. That money, and it comes and it goes just as fast as it can. We have to be careful of that because money is, again, if we chase it down a rabbit hole, we will end up at the bottom of that hole. Remember that it is just a tool that God uses for us to get through life. We can't take it with us when we go to, go to heaven. We have to leave it here. So it's simply a tool. And we have to be careful that we use it as a tool. So that brings me to the second point. Fear of the unknown should make us run to Christ. If we rely on money and things start to go really well, if we rely on superficial things, we rely on the comforts of life, the pleasures of material things. We can get tricked. And we can think that our life is all good. 
when it really is not. And Jesus uses this teaching point in the book of Luke. If you go to chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, we have a parable. And in this particular parable, the man was rich. However, let's not mistake ourselves. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor or anything in between. We have to make sure that we know that God is number one. So let's pick up in Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus is teaching that, look, be mindful of your worldly things, but don't desire them so much that they drive you to the point where you covet. And he saw that this other man who was asking for the inheritance to, to be divided, he saw that the person, all they wanted was the money. You look at the money and Jesus is saying, look, you store up yourself and you lay up these riches and they're just going to rot. Moths are going to eat them. Thieves are going to take them. But be wise and lay for yourself treasures towards God in heaven. Serve the one who will serve you for eternity. Give to the one who gives forever. It's very important that we understand that God does not want us chasing down this rabbit hole. Remember, God said, if you seek him and his righteousness first, all the things that are added to the Gentiles, you will get. Matthew 6, 33. Remember, do not be anxious for anything. God will take care of you. He knows the things that you need. And be mindful of how you walk, not seeking the things of the world, not coveting, and not desiring things that you know aren't good for you. So this is the fear of the unknown. We have no idea what Jesus will call us. And when I say call us, I mean call us permanently away from earth. When our time is, is due and it's time for us to move on, we pass away, we have no idea when this time is. So it's very important that we look and we see that Jesus is calling us. Our time of visitation is now. And so we need to make the most of our faith in every moment here on earth. 
We live here on earth. We need to make the moment rich in Christ. We need to make our lives impactful and influential in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. As we pour into him, he will pour into us. Scripture says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. As we come closer and closer to God, we will start to understand the value of Christ and just how much a tool superficial things are. When Jesus came to the Israelites, they thought superficially. Jesus is riding in on the donkey. It's Palm Sunday. And what do the Israelites believe? They believe that Jesus is going to restore the kingdom and that they're going to be a military power once again in the Middle East. They were thinking superficially. They were thinking about material things. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is of the universe. It's a spiritual kingdom with angels and spiritual power through the Holy Spirit. And so when God restores his kingdom, it's going to be restored forever. And we see that a new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21. We see that God is making all things new. We learned that last week. So as we stick to Christ and we see the things that he is doing in our lives and we walk and trust in him, we know that there will be breakthroughs in his timing. The desire of a human in our flesh is to force those breakthroughs to happen now. We want instant results. We want instant gratification in everything that we do. That's why Amazon Prime is so successful. People want that stuff in two days. If they don't get it in two days, trust me, they're throwing a fit. And so we have today in a world that wants instant gratification. And we have pushed that into the kingdom realm with God. And we demand from God that he instantly fulfill our desires, our dreams, and our will immediately. And if he doesn't do that, we get caught in the trap that God is not working. And that's dangerous because Satan wants you to believe. See, you're not getting the fruit that you've desired. You're not getting the fruit that the world says you should have because... You're not successful. If you were successful, you would have all these things. Well, this type of success that we see every day, if you look out the window, is all based on the world's standards. It's not based on God's standards. So the success that God wants us to have is spiritual success. That success that overcomes sin. That success that sees the meaning and value of Christ and his kingdom, his church, his spirit, the value of praying, the value of reading the word, the value of sharing the gospel. All these things become incredibly powerful in our lives and give us incredible joy and fruit, far surpassing anything that the world can give us. When we experience God's fruit and blessing, it gives us an inner feeling that the world cannot replace. It simply does. The next thing we know is that we should have a fear of the known. What are the knowns? Jesus says, do not fear man. Do not fear what men can do to you. But fear what God can do to you. 
fear what, what he can do to your soul. And so often we go through life and we fear God, right? But we don't fear him to the point where he influences our actions, okay? And the way I would best put it is, let's say you have a boss, and your boss says, if you don't come in on Sunday, you're fired. But we know that it's best to please God. But we fear losing our job. So what do we do? We have a dilemma. Most people will be like, hey, I guess I got to go to work. And in most cases, to most people, that would seem like a perfectly legitimate response. But what does it really say about who we are inside? We have God telling us to do something, and we know that what man is telling us to do contradicts what man, what God is asking us to do. So we have an impasse. Do we obey man or do we obey God? And it's a difficult situation because we don't want to lose our job. Now, the popular school of thought would say, hey, God would have enough grace that you can miss church one day. We're not so legalistic that you have to be at church. Fair enough. That's a, that's a valid response. We're not so legalistic. But what happens and what does it say to your boss that you're willing to do these things and let him override God? What does it say to your boss about your convictions in Christ? What does it say to your boss about who you are in faith? If we give in so easily to something that we know that God would not want us to do, then we're telling the world that, well, I actually fear man more than I do God because I think that God I can put on a back burner for another week. And I'll make it up to God sometime down the road. And then we become like the rich man. We, we live in our comforts. And Jesus tells us, look, you have no idea what God is going to do to your life. And we can easily get to the point where we're living day by day based on the world's economy and the world's standards and the world's philosophy. And we think that the things that are commonplace in the world are actually acceptable. This is a normal thing. Well, norms can change. What's normal one day here in America can be normal or not normal 20 years from now. Things can change. One thing that doesn't change is God and who he is and God and his word. If we look at society 50 years ago, being a homosexual in society was not so popular and accepted. If you walked out into the street and you behaved a certain way, you could literally expect people to insult you, to treat you poorly because of your lifestyle change. Well, fast forward today, 50 years, it's normal to kind of see that now. It's not so, wow, I'm blown away by this behavior. Why? Because it's become an accepted norm in society. But if, again, we look at the scripture, has the scripture changed in its attitude towards this type of lifestyle? No. A sin is a sin. So we can see that society has a moving picture of what's normal. 
2,000, 3,000 years ago, it was quite normal to have two or three wives. That's not normal today. Back, right? Back then, it was normal to have animals and a farm and, and to have crops and things of this nature around your house to help provide for your family. Today, what do we do? We go to the grocery store. We rely less on doing things for ourselves for providing food because we know that we can go buy it. My point here is that we can easily get tricked into thinking that something is okay when it is not. We know that certain things are adequate before God, but the world wants us to, to replace and substitute them with something less inferior and less beneficial for our lives. Something that will eventually pull us away from God. And every day, Satan is looking to build his little footholds in our lives and make them bigger and bigger and bigger, hope, hoping that he draws us away from God so that one day we no longer find joy in God. And that one day we no longer find joy in the church. And we find the things of God to be alienating. That's where Satan wants us to be. And I painted it this way. Amy will remember this, this example. But it looks like this, okay? We have church on Sunday, okay? And because we're not really sold out on Christianity and we're not fully for it, something else comes up on Sunday. Let's say a Bronco game. And your boss is like, hey, I got two tickets to the Bronco game. 50-yard line, club level. It's one o'clock game. You want to go, you got to meet us at the parking lot at 11. And now you're like, yeah, I can go. And then you go home and your wife's like, what about church? And you're like, oh, church. I can just miss one day. And now you're starting to get these, these arguments in your head. And you're like, I can miss one day for church. There's nothing wrong with going to a, a football game. We see Christians all the time playing football on Sunday. We see it happen. It must be okay. Right? Who just won the Super Bowl? The Eagles. Who was the quarterback? Stokes or something like that. And he comes out and he says he's a Christian, right? So for six months out of the year, you work on Sunday. And you're a Christian. And he basically has decided to put Christianity on hold for the sake of his career. This is a tough call. This is what you do for a football player, right? You play on Sunday. Well, he feels that he's going to be a pastor someday after his football career is over. And I'm like, if God is really calling you and your day of visitation is now, what right do we have as people to put God on hold and say, can I take a message until I'm ready? Because that's what we do. We're like, okay, God wants this for our lives, but we're not quite ready to get there yet. And so what do we do? Put God on hold, take a message, I'll get back to him when I'm ready. That's what we do to people, right? When we're ready to deal with people, well, okay, I'm ready to deal with you. I'll respond to your text now. 
I'll respond to your, your call because I've been avoiding you. And that's what we do. We avoid God. We know that God wants a particular thing for our lives, and we're just not ready to commit to that degree yet. And so we become sad. Why? Because now we have this competing thing going on in our lives. One day we want to do this, and another day we want to do this. And then we decide, oh, it's not so bad that I missed church. Then you go, and then what happens while you're there? You feel what? Guilty. You feel, wow, I shouldn't even be here. I can't even have the full amount of fun that I want to have because I know I shouldn't even be a true Christian will have this struggle. Somebody who's in both worlds or in the world, they're going to have that, and they will always choose at the end of the day to go back to the world. Why? Because the world says 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. problem is, is we look at it, and we want the easy solution. I need four, so two plus two equals four. What about when four doesn't answer the problem? And you need more than four, but all you have is two plus two. This is the situation of the Israelites. You get backed up, the Egyptian army is chasing you, and you have the Red Sea behind you. Well, you can either fight the Egyptians, the biggest army in the world, or you can jump into the ocean and swim across. Because at this point, two plus two only equals four. And if we look at problems logically, well, we have two choices. If you're backed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming at you, well, you can either fight or you can swim. But God's like, I have a different answer. One that the world hasn't thought of. One that you haven't even thought of. I'm going to open up the Red Sea, and you're going to cross on dry land. And when you get to the other side, I'm going to close it on the Egyptians, and you'll be protected and safe. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. And God's like, I know. I know. When the world is telling you that 2 plus 2 is your only solution, we as Christians go, we have Jesus Christ. And so in life, what I'm telling us right now as we wrap up today, have fear of the unknown. You don't know when your time is going to be called short. You're going to have to go to heaven. Also have fear of the known. Fear God and what he can do to your soul. So to this day, don't miss your calling, your time of visitation. Run to Christ this day. Don't leave yourself short. And instead of re relying on the fact that you can fight the Egyptians or jump into the ocean, no, we're going to trust in God and see what he can do. That's the way we're going to do things. As Christians, we trust in God and we run to Christ this day so that Christ doesn't have to weep over us and say, oh, my poor children, they missed the fact that I was with them today. They missed the fact that they could have had divine blessing today. But instead, they ran to the world, and they missed my visitation. 
As Christians, God is with us. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We have his power. So often we decide to put that power on hold because we don't know what it can do, nor do we trust in it. So we run to the basic simple tools that the world has given us, and we operate in those simple tools. Problem is, is when we operate in the world's tools, there's no godly blessing in it. You want a godly answer? You want God's power? Then you have to seek God. But if you want mediocre results, mediocre solutions to the world's mediocre problems, then continue to operate the world the way the world does. We have a choice. God is saying, look, I am present in your lives. I'm calling you closer to a deeper relationship. How will you respond? How will you respond? Will you make the most of every moment with Christ? Or will it be reduced to something that just comes and goes like it did for the Israelites last time? Because a week later, those same Israelites that were laying down the palms for Jesus to ride over were the same Jews that were in the court going, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because it was easy come, easy go. They feared man more than they feared God. And when push came to shove, they were willing to kill God to get the worldly things that they desired. We have to be careful. Let's pray. Father Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for being an amazing God. And Lord, this morning, we know that you are present. And we do not want to miss your day of visitation. You are the power of the universe. And Lord, we seek you. We seek you for radical change in people's lives. We seek you for radical uh, differences in people's finances, people's health, people's families' homes, radical differences at work, Lord, radical differences within people's own spirits. Lord, we seek you that we would not miss this day, nor the power that you have. Thank you so much for being our God and saving us the way you have. Thank you for your redemption. At this day, in Jesus' name.